Welcome to the Life Plus God podcast. My name is Alyssa Robinson. I'm your host, and today I am here with Reverend Doug Meyer. Welcome back, Doug. Hey, it's yeah. been a while. I know, it's been a long time. I gave all the pastors a nice little summer break. Oh, okay. And had some guests. It wasn't just come me. On. No, it was oh, everybody. Good. I so, like yeah, I had now. Daniel, and he hadn't been in here in a couple of months. Yeah. We rearranged the studio. Looks and good. Looks yeah. Sharp. It, it's so welcome back. Thank you. Into Thank you. your favorite room. I know. Church. I don't. I'm not afraid of it. <laughs> I cool. know you're one of the only people who's like, yeah, let's do another podcast. Bring let's it. talk about it. Bring it. Everybody else is scared. Like I'm. I'm putting them in the hot seat or something. <sighs> Bless their little hearts. Yeah. It, they'll come along. Yeah. Um, okay. So Doug, today yep. our question is, who am I? Mm, man. So. That's Who a great am question. I, Doug? Who am, <laughs> Tell me. <laughs> Who am I? Who am I? Where do I start? Give me give me a little more than who am well, I. Well, okay. So today we're going to do kind of a recorded example of introspection and contemplation. Okay. Which is something that I think that we would both agree is very important in our faith journey, in our personal journey, like Going to more and more self-awareness, yeah. maybe trying to get to self-actualization someday, maybe. Um, a better understanding of who we are and what we're all about. What we're about. Yeah. yeah. And I, I really think that, um, man, this can help us in so many ways. It can help us in our faith. It can help us in our relationships. It can help us in the way that we perceive what's happening around us mm-hmm. in the world. Um, this introspection oh, is so, it's, so uh, needed. It's everything about everything. <laughs> yeah. So we're kind of going to set an example here okay. and share some stuff about ourselves. Man, and let's do it. Our journeys, because I think that you and I have both gone on uh, different journeys of mm-hmm. introspection and self-awareness. I think that you've been on this this path longer than I have. Well, um, everybody has their own. Yeah. And, and so I just want to talk about what is this thing that everybody's talking about is self-awareness <laughs> and why does no. it matter and who cares? <laughs> I love it. Uh, you know, so and I wouldn't we'll have do... said I love it years ago. I yeah. would have said years ago, I'm terrified, leave me alone, go away. Uh, but now, I don't know. It's kind of just this th- this fuel that uh, is a part of my everyday life. Yeah. Who yeah. am I? Let, yeah. Let's jump right in. Okay. What does knowing thyself have to do with yeah. our faith and relationship with God? You know, I think... Uh, it might have a lot or it might not have very much at all to do with that. Knowing oneself is, um, I think somewhere in there is personal choice of uh, deliberate, intentional work uh, of uh, scratching past kind of some layers that we all do every day, just kind of as part of survival. But uh, it depends on the God part, I think, depends on like those are not mutually dependent. You cannot have a concept of God and still do self-discovery. So for some people, self-discovery will include, I think, some um, God-wonderings, and then that might open other pathways. But I think we both know plenty of people who, for whom all of the associations that we assume go with God, God, church, faith, prayer, sin, guilt, all that um, that's just not a part of their MO. But, you know, I think everybody, regardless of faith, can have an opportunity of self-discovery. 
Yeah. Well, and, and the way that I see it in terms of faith is part of my belief system is I do believe that we were created in God's image. Mm-hmm. And I believe that the divine dwells within each and every single person. And I would even extend that to my dog. <laughs> oh, heck yeah. <laughs> the no. divine. I, I think I really believe that um, all beings, all living beings have a soul and that we are all a part of this beautiful creation story and this image of who God is. And as an extension of that, I feel like the more we understand ourselves and the more that we are willing to, like you said, scratch the surface and understand our um dark side, our good side of how we react in certain situations and trying to um, put these pieces together to become the best versions of ourselves that we can. I think that the more we learn about ourselves, the more we could potentially be learning about God. Yeah, I could live with that. I, you know, I think, uh, I forget, Genesis early on where God breathed God's breath into creation I, I like the imagery of that we all have, uh, you know, that God breath in us and that we're creating, we're creating partners and um, that uh, there is so much, we are much more complex than I think we give, are able to get our heads around, whether that's, you know, are we spiritual beings? Are we energized beings? Are we, you know, I think that uh, we we don't allow ourselves to fully imagine uh the possibilities. I think we just live in this little cocoon or, or safe structure, but um, the power that is within each of us to be our full selves, I think would blow us away if we ever yeah. really tapped into it. I also think a lot of people don't have the luxury of sitting around and contemplating, you know, like <laughs> yeah, that yeah. is a very, that's oh. a privileged place to be. Absolutely. Um, There are people who are working multiple jobs, who are just trying to stay afloat. And not just that, there are people who have a job that isn't at a church, that they're not encouraged to spend time in meditation and prayer and contemplation and introspection. And then they come home at the end of the day and they've got kids to wrestle and all of these things going on that like, I am a very privileged person to get to sit around staring at my navel and (laughs) contemplating (laughs) on the way that divine energy presents itself, you know? (laughs) Yeah. And a lot of people would say, what the hell? You know, that that's not even, um, do something, you know, contribute to the world, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? And be, be serious about whatever it is you're doing. So I get that. I think it is a, it's a divine luxury, a privileged luxury, whatever it is. But the, um, I get that. But the more you do it, to me, the less it feels like a luxury and it seems like more of a uh, sustaining requirement. Yeah, and it, it just... Like I, I wish everybody, I, I don't care what, what your task is, say. somehow could be gifted... I don't even, 15, 30 minutes a day of contemplation time. Yeah. And I think they would, um, it would alter who they are. Imagine in our culture if we taught contemplation in school so that it was a class that little kindergartners and first graders were taking. And Yeah. I mean. I think the world, I think we would be a kinder world. Mm -hmm. I think we'd be more creative world. I think we would be, uh, we would raise up better listeners. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Well, let's do some defining. Okay. Um, when we're talking about contemplation, self-awareness, right. self-actualization type stuff, mm-hmm. what are what are we really talking about here? 
I think those are buzzwords, but like, what do we mean? Yeah. I'm asking you because I'm not sure that I know. <laughs> well, I think it, you know, vocabulary is an interesting thing, right? I mean, you can pull any of these up on, you know, psychology.com or psychology today or whatever. But to me at the heart of it is intentional intentionality about pursuing who I am, asking questions, you know, all the who, what, where, when, why, hows, and taking um, multiple layers. You know, I forget now exactly who, who used to do this exercise, but would be at any situation, ask yourself why five times. Why? And answer that, then say why. You know, do things that purposely take you past what most of us have as a one or two layer question barrier mm-hmm. to go, you know, further in. Most of us aren't conditioned, or I mean, that's just not something we do. It's, like you said earlier, that's not taught in school or anywhere. And some of us even have a resistance level. Like if you poke past, you know, this layer, this layer, I'm shutting down, pulling away, getting angry, or, or whatever it is. So I guess the easiest way for me to explain it is what started it for me. Can we go back there? Yeah. Okay. So uh, I was thinking about this last night, and I had a I have a recollection. I got to do the I got introduced to this way before I was capable of uh, handling it. When I was either a junior or senior in college, I was as part of my undergraduate degree in religion in these um, what we would now call life groups, but we didn't call it them back then. It was some required academic one hour credit small group time. And uh, this therapist person would come in and ask us uh, probing questions that I really do think now, I don't think I was the only one that was not mature enough to handle that kind of contemplation. The other people would kind of BS away around it. But I I can recall it was every Thursday afternoon at four o'clock, I would get in a funk and I would get real protective. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, my whole MO back then was more about... um, why do you want to know me that well? Because uh, I don't even know who I am. And it, I just, I was suspicious of other people's motives. So I couldn't see how that would benefit me. Okay, now, fast forward, you know, I think I, I don't know, I just BS my way through that. And, you know, earlier, and, and even now at times, I can give people a pretty good canned answer, which is basically my way of giving them the Heisman. Just, you know, step back. I don't trust you with this information. I trust you with this information, Alyssa. Okay, so fast forward. Doing life, doing life, doing life. And it's, uh, you know, I've had chronicled episodes of depression and this, that, and the other. And basically, I, I, I don't know, 12, 13, 14, 15 years ago, my life just crashed. Uh, in a series of six months, I uh, was released from my responsibilities as pastor at this big, tall, civil church in Plano where I thought I was Superman, God's right-hand guy, big super helper. Everybody knew me. Everybody loved me. Um, three months later, my wife said, yeah, I'm, I'm done with this gig as well. And so um, somewhere in that moment, I had the aha. I remember making a conscious choice on a Monday morning to call. First, I called my physician and said, um, I think we need to talk. All the conditions are ripe for me to be depressed, and I want to do life now differently. There, there, you know, there was like this um, moment, and I don't know what or why, that I woke up that morning saying, 
it's time to do this differently. So I went and had an appointment with her, got on antidepressants. The next phone call I made was to one of my best buddies and said, hey, I need a therapist. I want a therapist who will call my BS. And um, so within, I don't know, 48 hours, I started seeing this guy named Tom who was fantastic. And uh, in his office, I said, um, I want to do the rest of my life differently. I want to have uh, new and different experiences where uh, I'm held accountable, I tell the truth, I'm vulnerable. I mean, I had a whole intentional checklist. I don't even know that I knew what I was asking for. Uh, and I said, I'm really good at BSing and lying my way through this, and I've done that to you know nervous counselors before. And he said, all right, buckle up. And so that started a multi-year process that uh, – was helped along by therapy and being asked questions and being uh, (laughs) – good therapists have good memories and they take notes, and so they can remember from appointment to appointment. So as I look back on it now, I don't know if this is uh, either how seriously screwed up I was or how ambitious he was, but I had for the first two months uh, appointments three times a week. Oh, wow. I know. And then I went from there to two a week, then one a week. And I look back at it now, and I'm like, holy crap, how did I? Hey, <laughs> how did I do that? How did I afford to do that? Uh, but it just, uh, you know, after about the first two or three weeks, I was like, Let, bring it. Let's do it. Let's, you know. You wanted the crash course. Yeah. Well, I wanted, uh, it was new. It yeah. was a total new way of doing life for me, which was so refreshing and at times both Emotionally terrifying, but freeing. It's like drinking from a fire hose. It was, yeah. Yeah. It just blasted me away. Yeah. So that started it, and it hadn't stopped since. I mean, the intensity ebbs and flows sometimes. Yeah. But uh, now I'm all about, you know, wondering. I used to call it wondering and wandering. Uh, You still call it that. I've heard you call it that on multiple. Yeah. Yeah. And it's uh, because it's kind of safe. You know, I I think uh, I grew up in a very... uh, black and white world, both just how you do life, how you do faith. And, and that was uh, discouraged. Mm. So once somebody opened the other door that said, hey, you can go over here and wonder all you want. I was like a kid in a playground. Bring it. And it was safe and it was affirmed. And it was, um, I uh, uh, affirmed myself for doing it and was energized from it. It wasn't at all. I didn't, you know, all the old stuff I would have felt, guilt and shame and thou shalt not and, and you're less than if you do and you're a sinner and just piles of BS. Um, that was gone. Yeah. So. Well, and I, one of the things that you said at the very beginning is where this started to, um, or a practice that you got to, I should say, yeah. was asking yourself why at least five times. Mm -hmm. And for me, um, when I'm thinking about what is self-awareness, what is this journey to understanding yourself? It's one of the things that I learned in Enneagram is learning how to um, non-judgmentally observe yourself. Mm-hmm. And that is so difficult to do because we get caught up in our default settings. We get triggered by something. Our tempers flare. We get caught up in 
the emotional reaction to whatever we're experiencing in the moment. But what leads to self-awareness is being able to pull yourself out of that, watch yourself from above as if you're watching a movie and say, huh, why did I react that way? Yeah. This wasn't a big deal. Why did I you know, lash out like that. Why? But to get to that point, what you or I or others have to do was go over the mountain or get past what had been the previous barrier of our, uh, like, immediate self-judgment of Mm -hmm. anger is bad or da-da-da is wrong. You have to be curious about yourself. And and that was uh, somehow these guardrails that somebody had put on us to modify or change or, or, you know, affect our behavior, right? Mm-hmm. So we adapted those and adopted them. And so we, we would immediately, if I lost my temper, oh, that's a bad thing. You know, little boys don't holler cuss words or blah, blah, blah. And so rather than, like you said, I love that imagery of kind of stepping above ourselves and going, man, Doug, what that, what, what trip that? What, what? And thinking about it, but then not feeling any guilt or shame. Right. Exactly. And, going, and that's the non judgmental part of it. Is, yeah. And that is so difficult well, to that, do. It yeah. feels almost robotic sometimes to just observe yourself like you're a scientist well, in maybe, a lab. Maybe we do that just out of, of preservation because it's so uh, out of our wheelhouse, right? Mm-hmm. And because normally, previously, we would do X, X behavior that we had deemed inappropriate or wrong or somebody had. And so then we would alter our behavior and quickly reset and go on. Mm -hmm. Whereas when you can now live into your uh, whatever it is, that moment, observe it. And and sometimes I like to ask the question, wonder what I was supposed to learn from this. Yeah. And in that, just keep going and not spend uh, countless hours wondering and worrying about what you think more or less of me because of what I just did. Mm. It just is. Well, and I I think for us to get into any of this at all. There is a popular therapeutic phrase going around right now talking about your shadow work, Mm -hmm. doing your shadow work. Mm -hmm. Um, And in a nutshell, this just means exploring the dark side of you. What are the negative aspects? And I think that where this has to start, so you mentioned in your story, you got to a point that you were like, I want the rest of my life to be different. Mm -hmm. Before you got to that point, yeah. What was the mask that you were wearing <laughs> to protect yourself from the world? What was your coping oh, yeah, mechanism? Yeah. Um, I think I had a couple, but I think they're all related. Uh, everybody's buddy, super friendly. Oh, man. Um, but with on my terms. I would be really engaged in your life, but I always redirected your questions away from me back to you. Um. People pleaser, a dysfunctional people pleaser in that I would be what you needed me to be, not who I was. Uh, So, and again, but it was all within a very tightly choreographed uh, vein. And I uh, was very guarded about who I would be around. I was very guarded about what I would talk about, about my life, because it was all, um, hey, I'm a pastor. I'm just a good, old God-fearing, God-loving you know, husband, and I've got three kids. And so, you know, I uh, just all American squeaky clean. Yeah, look at my happy little life. Happy little life. Yeah. Oh, you know, you don't really need to look over here at my pornography addiction. Don't, you know, look away, look away. Yeah. Uh, 
But by by constructing my life and the and the mask, what you would see is, man, he just is a really nice guy. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't give you an opportunity to see me unhappy or angry or sad. Uh, you know, in the days when she would say this, I would resent the hell out of it, but I would come home from work and leave the mask in the car and get home and be exhausted and out of words and grumpy and short-tempered. And my wife would say, wonder what it would look like if you just brought home, this is like her phrase, the Doug that's at work and let that be the Doug at home. Mm. And of course, that would just trip me all over. I would get mad that you know you're. Well, you don't know what you're talking about. And you don't even love me for who I am. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> just, and I was probably. I mean, I don't know. I was drinking my own Kool Aid, mm-hmm. but she was right because I was, you know, charming at work and a turd at home. So, mm-hmm. I my mask man. Mm-hmm. It, it was. Yeah, I want to hear about yours. Yeah, <laughs> my mask was strength, mm. and. I kept people at a distance and I was very guarded as well, but for very different reasons. I would never call myself a people pleaser. Mm-hmm. I um I as I was the you can't hurt me. I don't care enough about you for you to hurt me. Mm. You know? Yeah. yeah. And that's what I it was it was strength. It mm. was an impenetrable armor that you, you cannot get through. Because maybe you thought that was what a woman your age was supposed to be. I that would I'm not sure why. And so maybe I need to do some more work on that. But it's hard because a lot of people, um, when they talk about their shadow work, they're they're working their way back to some sort of childhood wound yeah. where they can see, okay, I see where all of these coping mechanisms started to kick off. Yeah. Um I I think I had a pretty fairy tale childhood for the most part. Um, I really don't have any complaints. There was some bullying that happened in middle school that was really hard on me. Yeah. Um, to the point that, and I think that even at the time I minimized it. And that's when I started putting on that armor of it's okay. I'm fine. Everything's fine. Well, my mom and I had have, have had conversations about that time in my life. And she was like, Alyssa, we were so worried about you. Hmm. You were not talking. You were going into your room and shutting down. You were crying all the time. Like, and I'm like, Oh, I don't remember it that way, you know, Hmm. but I was bullied so badly. And I didn't know by girls that I thought were my friends. That was Uh, that. And you know, girl bullies are a different breed. They are a whole nother Um, breed. Yep. But I had a little group of friends that kind of dragged me along and used me as the butt of the joke. And um, and because you were probably anxious to be included, mm-hmm. you went along. Um, yeah, I, I went along with it, and I would pretend that I was in on the joke. I, that's well, because when, that makes it not hurt as bad. That's when I developed self-deprecating humor of, yep, yep, yep. and just trying to make it seem like, yeah, y- y'all can't hurt my feelings. Mm-hmm. It's yeah, it is funny. It, my body is funny looking, isn't it? You know. <laughs> yeah. And uh, oh, I get that big time. I was yeah. such the anti-jock uh, and moderately, probably somewhat effeminate, and I. Uh, desperately wanted to be an athlete because in junior high and high school, those were the esteemed people on campus, right? But I was the anti-athlete. And so I went full on the opposite way and just really embraced band nerdum 
one hundred percent. But I would do the same self-deprecating humor about you know, um, oh, I can't do this, this, or this. Uh, so I, you know, uh, oh, but look at me, I can sure play the trumpet really well. But all the while, hurt being hurt really deeply because uh, the thing I said I couldn't is what I most desperately wanted to be. You know, so well, and no, I, I get that. Yeah, and I had a. I was not popular by any means. I wouldn't say I was, you know, a complete dork. Yeah. But I was not popular. And my reaction to that, I think that I wanted to be popular. I didn't understand why I wasn't. And so my reaction to that was, well, I'm going to hate those popular girls. Mm -hmm. Like they're, oh my gosh, they're so shallow. They're so shallow. They don't care. Like, who, mm-hmm. I don't want to be anything like them. Oh, how boring, you know, <laughs> to only care about your clothes and your hair and your makeup, yeah. like, and to be pretty. Ugh, they don't <sighs> even have a personality, you know, and that was part of the armor that I was putting yeah. on. Yeah. I had to get past that phase because that was just an example of a bully turning, a bullied kid turning into a bully, mm-hmm. you know, as a, <laughs> a yeah. coping mechanism. Yeah. So those are things that I had to unlearn of like, this isn't, you don't react to being bullied by bullying other people. Um, and I think that that's something that I still get caught up in Do sometimes really? when I feel like I'm being wronged. I get a chip can, on my you shoulder. You just pull out And you better not get in my way <laughs> if I'm having a bad day. Yeah. And it's a horrible, like childish mentality, but I still get caught up in it. And then I have to pull myself out of it again and go into that observation and say, why are you throwing a toddler temper tantrum right now? That's not going the way you thought it should. And what aren't you getting that you think you need? Gosh, those masks we wear. And um, I will say there is a freedom to find, we all have a mask oh. and it's not always a bad thing. I think that we have coping skills for a reason when we're going through something really hard. We, I, sometimes I have to pull out that armor and put it back on when I'm going through a really tough time just to make it through. And I'm not saying all coping skills are negative, but some of mine can be more destructive to other people than others. But we all yeah. have this mask that we wear. And I think that's part, the beginning of the shadow work and understanding our true selves is, okay, how am I faking my way through this? Yeah. What mask am I well, wearing? Well, yeah, because we don't ever, I think, really like throw away or destroy the mask. I think we just kind of retire it. Yeah. But it's always near enough that we know how to access it. But when you finally realize that you're wearing it mm-hmm. and you, because I think that for the first 30 years of my life, I didn't know I had it on. Mm-hmm. And then I had the opportunity to take it off. And I've shared my divorce story a million times. Y'all are bored of it. So I'm not going <laughs> to go through the whole thing again. But for me, the turning point was my divorce. And I also happened to be at the same time learning about the Enneagram. And so a coping skill for me was to do a deep dive <laughs> into the Enneagram to try and better understand myself, better understand my husband, better understand all of the people in my life because what the nothing hell just happened to me? was yeah. making sense to me. I get that. And so I probably jumped into it in a bit of an unhealthy way, but it it was yeah. kind of a safety blanket for me. Well, I think even that little simple phrase you just used, making sense. I think that when we allow ourselves to stop and to do whatever mental exercise we do, we need to do to uh I mean, 
we're about making sense every day about everything. There has to be a reason. What's the reason? Why did I do that? Why didn't I do that? What could I have done differently? If and I had, if, and all then that I start when I had learned I was wearing this mask at the same time that I was going through this divorce, I was like, have I had my mask on my whole marriage? Mm-hmm. Have I been exuding strength and have I had my armor on and my guard up for this whole relationship without what? even realizing it? And I think the answer well, was yes, the, I did. Yeah, of course the answer is yes. And the person who your ex knew and then began to unknow was mask on, mask off, Alyssa, and not, you know, this is not a commentary on him or you, but we all do that in all of our relationships. Mm -hmm. And it's when we begin to trust people, uh, when we allow them and encourage them to take their mask off and we take our mask off, that then I think magic happens in relationships. Yeah. And some people love us with our mask on. Oh, they would prefer us. Yeah. I have friends who, and, and they know me so well, and they love me mask on, mask off. But uh, one of my girlfriends says, when you put your armor on, I feel like I'm, pro- I'm protected <laughs> by Alyssa. Nothing can hurt me. Yeah. She's like, I feel strength from your strength. And she's like, I see it happen. I see when you're putting that on and I'm here for it. (laughs) Yeah, no, I get that. I have some, uh, especially guy buddies who prefer just, hey, let's go to the bar and have some drinks, tell some jokes, watch a bit of a football game and call it good versus, hey, let's sit and have a drink and talk about our feelings and Mm -hmm. what's going on and where we could be closer and what are we afraid of. And, uh, you know, I get that. Because you can't be full on, you know, deep probe all the time. That's exhausting. Yeah. Well, let's do some more deep. Bring it. Yeah. I'm I'm, I'm geared up for it. This is going to be an exhausting one, I guess. That's all right. Um, When you started doing your shadow work and you realized you were wearing a mask, what were some of those negative aspects of yourself that you had to face and how did you face them? Mm. That, um, that I wasn't always honest. I didn't like that, that I, um, I never named things like lying or dishonest. You know, I just, uh, protected or created environments that felt safe. You know, I had just nice words that kind of, uh, came to that, that I had a temper, you know, uh, grew up in a family where the only person who was temp- uh, allowed to have a temper was our dad. And it was very clearly stated that strong feelings of any sort were not allowed. Um, I had a lot of shame around my um, pornography addiction. And that was, uh, you know, for the longest time, I couldn't even sit, form the word pornography. Like I would mm-hmm. begin to say the word and it was like I have. I was learning English for the first time. I couldn't construct the vowels and the consonants all the right way. Um, just being less than, because I had so convinced myself and tried so hard to convince everybody else that I was all that in a bag of chips. You name it, I'm there for you. I can do that. Yeah, I can do that. Sure, I can do that. Yep, 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 yep. Super uber confident. All the while... I was not. I really was. Uh, at times, there's a pretty strong introvert chord in me, shy. Um, I both at times can thrive in a group of people and then other times want to get the hell out of there, you know? And um, again, thought I was supposed to be super dad, super husband, and 
somewhere enmeshed in all the divorce talk was uh, strong feelings from my ex about the times I wasn't. Mm-hmm. And, um, man, that was super hard. I was, I probably spent a good year uh, trying to prove that wrong versus hearing it for her experience and, and even contemplating might there be a kernel of truth there. Mm. That's hard. It was. And, uh, you know, I look back at it now and it's, I think it's a really good thing that I went right into therapy because I don't think prior to that I had the emotional strength to, to go through all that. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't in any kind of group that was affirming or sustaining or encouraging that. You know, a lot of men aren't. A lot of men are not in other groups where, or even have one buddy who you can sit down and just be, you know, full on honest with, yeah. especially if it's an honest aspect of a fear or uh, a, a vulnerability statement. They don't want to hear that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think mine mine was a little bit different than yours. Is It sounds like um, you were a very likable person who got along with others and made others feel good, but you had to learn how to love yourself. For me, it was the exact opposite. I adored myself. I loved myself. I thought I was the mm-hmm. greatest. Yeah. And then when I started doing this work, I realized how much I had hurt people. And it was devastating to me because that was never my intention. But the way that I functioned in this world, things that I had considered a point of pride, I can't tell you how many people in my life have told me I'm intimidating. And it, I kind of took it as a badge of honor. But then what that really means is I make people uncomfortable and not necessarily in a way that they should be uncomfortable, <laughs> like in a way that people are afraid of me. They don't yeah. want to come to me. They don't want to talk to me. But did you do that maybe because it gave you control and power? I think it kept people at a distance. Yeah. And um, so I didn't have the opportunity to have my feelings hurt. I didn't have the opportunity no. to have meaningful connections that could potentially fall apart in the future. Well, yeah, because I can imagine younger Alyssa going, by God, that's not going to, I'm not going to have those crappy feelings again. Yeah. And here's how I'm going to make sure of that. Yeah. And mm-hmm. so for me to be doing this work and look back on my tendencies to steamroll people, I'm a very opinionated person. Are you serious? And I am, when I have a strong opinion, I'm outspoken and I'm actually like really open to other people's opinions, but I speak as if my opinion is fact. <laughs> I don't mean to, but that's just the way that my thoughts come out. Yeah. And yeah. so I have just, I think I've just shut so many people down unintentionally. Um, so steamrolling is, is a big problem for me. Um, also, stepping in and taking leadership where I shouldn't. Mm. Uh, there is, you know, in the Enneagram work that I've done, I'm an eight on the Enneagram. And one of the things they say about eights is when there is a power vacuum, the They'll eights fill will it. fill it yeah. automatically default setting. So if I walk into a room and I feel like it's being mismanaged or a meeting isn't being run effectively or whatever it is, I have to stop myself from taking it over. Uh, because I, in my mind, I'm like, okay, I can fix this. I can do this. Y'all better. are lucky. I you am know? here to help y'all fix this. And the problem with that is, 
Um, Oh, there's so many problems with that. But one of the issues that I had, it took me so long to recognize that because in many work environments in the United States, that is valued. That sure. is something that I am praised for. Alyssa is the person that we go to when something's broken. She's going to fix it. Our She's fixer. the clutch player. If, a, if an account is going wrong, put Alyssa on it. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I and get that. and so I ha- another thing that I saw as a point of pride. But how many rooms have I walked into where I didn't need to do that? I didn't need to take over, and I took something away from somebody that they had worked really hard on, and maybe we're just learning, or maybe they just do things differently than I do. And I thought, no, this isn't the way you do it. And I took it from them. And you're lucky I'm here because I can now fix this. Yes. And then I would get praised for it. Yeah. Alyssa turned it around, you know? Oh, yeah. So there are all of these negative aspects of myself that I had to face. And it was like this moment of your life flashing before your eyes and me reexamining every encounter I've ever had. Another thing is I am not conflict averse. I don't seek out conflict, but I'm not afraid of it. And so it takes a lot for something to feel like someone's fighting with me because I enjoy healthy debate and things like that. Mm. The number of people who have told me that we had a conflict that I didn't even realize was a conflict. (laughs) And and it, it makes them feel small. And it makes them feel diminished in some way that I didn't even realize. And so it's looking back on all of these moments in my life and it just thinking, oh my gosh, how did I make that person feel when I said that? Having that thought having never crossed my mind before. Right. So I had 30 years of interactions of like, oh, that's not what I thought it was. Yeah. And see, all of this that we were even doing right now, I think is... Um a part of the self-discovery process where it's okay, not only just okay, it's healthy to go, man, here's when I was not at my best. Here's when I was destructive or toxic or less than. And instead of running from it going, wonder what I might learn from this. What can I do to not repeat that? What can I do? How can I enable people I trust to hold me accountable when they see me airing into unhealthy behaviors to, you know, thump me on the nose or something. Well, and it's also helpful that once you, once your shortcomings are revealed to you, you start to see them all the time. Mm-hmm. And so something that I wouldn't even noticed was a personality trait of mine. I'm now on the lookout for those red flags in my characteristics. Yeah. And, um, Also, I had a group of friends, like you said, that were doing Enneagram at the same time as me. So now they know the red flags in my characteristics. They know what it looks like when Alyssa is not being her healthiest, you know, and they can call me out on that. And Well, and I think that's a a really important part. Like if people are thinking about taking this on, Mm -hmm. I think you need need people. Can't do shadow work alone. It's too scary. You got to have a tribe or a village or whatever you want to call it. You know, for me, it was all of my and continues to be my uh, recovery work friends. And um, even in that, there is a collective of mutual uh, trust giving. You know, we're going to be in this together. um, And it's, uh, I will be honest. It used to be, I'll be honest if you're honest. Mm. But really, it has to be, I'll just be honest. 
And um, I struggle with that still at times. You know, uh, a year or so ago in Re- in Renew, I had really fallen it, which is our recovery group here at church. Anyway, um, I had kind of managed over my addictive behavior from pornography to self-medicating with alcohol. And uh, after, <laughs> I forget, a certain amount of time, I realized one day, I have a drink every day. I don't, I don't think I've not had a drink in a lot, you know. And uh, I was really nervous to share that in our recovery group because I thought I was supposed to be the recovery hero, you know, the recovery role model group leader. I'm the leader of this group. I'm the yeah, leader. I'm the example. And I, Everybody follow my model. <laughs> exactly. And then, and then the more I thought about that, it's like, okay, so what I'm modeling is continuing to lie about my unhealthy behaviors and not trust, which are all totally opposite of what we say our values are. Mm. So again, you know, once I kind of came clean with the group, one of the guys in the group even said, well, so you think you're an alcoholic? I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. Come on. <laughs> I got real offended. And, uh, you know, it, uh, you have to be able to be offended yeah. and not be offended. You have to be able to be offended and know that that person uh, and that's earned in a way. You don't just, you know, fall off the truck and get that the first night. Uh, says of that because you've given permission to say that and you've said it to them and they care about you. Mm. But, yeah, if you're going to tackle this kind of behavior or, you know, introspection, I don't know how you, you know, I mean, because we live in it, right? I don't know how people who are just civilians out in the, uh, out in the world – Unless you go to a therapist. I know some men, there's a guy here in Flower Mound that has men's group that, you know, people pay good money. Men like pay good money. therapy? Yeah, kind of. But it's only men and they go like 12 weeks at a time and they have a topic that they all come in and scratch out. Mm. So, I don't know. I, you know, otherwise just go to a 12-step group and say, hey, I want to start a 12-step group. And I don't know. I mean, most all of us could benefit from that anyway. Yeah. Well, okay. So we've talked a little bit about the dark side, the shadow work in your work on self-awareness. Is there anything that you learned about yourself that are positive things that you didn't Mm. know Mm. before you started doing this work or something that you learned to love about yourself? So... I learned that it's okay to not have all the answers. So that created a lot of, of uh, bandwidth to not have to have an answer. Well, that frees you from so many things. A whole yeah. lot of stuff, yeah. <laughs> to um, not be responsible for everybody else's feelings. And I still struggle with that one a lot, that I'm somehow magically in charge of you know, in whatever setting. Oh my gosh, I'm so the opposite. <laughs> That's so funny. I'm like, I don't care about anyone's feelings, oh, and my work is well, to care wonder, more about other people's and feelings. See, my, mine is not, <laughs> but see, here's the sideways uh, dysfunction of that: is I, I worry about your feelings because somehow I am uh, connected to. I'm in charge of your feelings. You're only going to feel good if I'm here. Yeah. Golly, what an ego. And for me, it's like, why are you feeling that way? I wouldn't feel that way. Like what? <laughs> oh, that's fun. How so we're that's so also ego. Yeah. So um, I'm the model here. Why are you upset? Why are you crying? Be more like yeah. me. <laughs> so one of the things that 
I like, I think I like this. I affirm this about me because I think it's a good thing. But um, but it's also real connected to what, uh, part of how I was when I was dysfunctional was my ability to be present when people, when they're hurting, and um, to not be afraid of what in the past had been big, hard, scary, traumatic kind of situations. Mm-hmm. That they can also be, you know, it can be hard and scary and traumatic and I can still be present. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, over the last couple of years, I've been really close to a couple of people here in the church who have died. And just um, sitting with them, holding their hand, you know, stroking their head, talking, listening, or just not doing any of that. Um, I appreciate the sacredness of that moment. Mm. And, uh, and it's a... To be able to be fully present in those moments, it, it is a gift. It is something that not everybody is capable of. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that's a good thing to love about yourself. Well, thank you for that. Yeah. Yeah. No, I I, I, uh, I don't know. Every now and then I kind of feel like I could be like somebody's like a, a death whisperer or something. You like, know, you would make a really great death doula. Is that Which what the is word is? Which is an actual job, yeah, to be a death doula. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For me, like I said, loving myself was never an issue. I adored myself, mm-hmm. and I thought I was the greatest, you know. Mm-hmm. And if anything, it was bringing a dose of humility into yeah. your life and not having such a huge ego. But one of the things that I had to learn to love about myself um, was... It's okay. Well, not maybe not learn to love about myself, but learn was an option. Is it's okay to just blend in and you you can just participate. You don't have to be in charge. You don't have to be the loudest person in the room. Um, and you can just be. Yeah. And you don't have to, you can step into any room and just be. You don't have to be the present star. yourself in yeah. any way. You know, I share that with you, and I wonder if that's um, what or what it was about our upbringing that either we were affirmed, we affirmed ourselves, something of being on and being, uh, I think there's a little bit of performer in us and a little bit of, uh, you know, it's uh, affirming. There are sideways messages of people who are like that to be, you know, the shining star in the room. I think I had youngest child syndrome. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, look at me, look at precocious me. Precocious little scam. Just by showing up in the room, <laughs> everybody loves me. Yeah. 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 And so, to, um, and I can see that being kind of anti-ape work because, you know, that means you're not doing that which you're somehow naturally wired to do. Mm-hmm. I don't need to fix this right now for this group. Yeah. Uh, you know, matter of fact, I, it's, they're going to be better off if I don't. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I get that. And one of the things that I loved about myself back then, and I do continue to love about myself, but I do it differently now after having done some work, is um, my fearlessness in standing up for others. Mm. I am never afraid to voice my opinion. I am never afraid of who is in the room. I am never afraid of how many people are there. If I see somebody being mistreated... I will say something Good. and um, there I'm like I said, I might do it differently now than I did when I was 25. When I was 25, maybe it involved shaming the person who was oh, doing the bullying. The bully. 
Yeah. And trying to make that, trying to embarrass them, turn the tables, make that, get a, give them a taste of their own medicine. I felt like it was my job to bring justice to that situation and immediately make the person who was bullying feel bad and the person who's being bullied feel good. So well, you're kind of cast in your own like little Marvel superhero movie, aren't you? I guess I am. Yeah. Yeah. You are. And now it's different of I will stand up for somebody, but I try to do it in a positive way of lifting them up. If someone's putting them down, lifting them up and making them feel like they're important well, and, yeah, and disagreeing with someone. That you don't have to do their work for them. You can be their cheerleader standing up for themselves because probably they walk away from that wiser, richer, smarter. Mm-hmm. than by having you told them the answer. Yeah, exactly. And I have learned to ask the question, do you want help? Yeah. Or do you want to handle this on your own? Most of the time, people want to handle it on their own. 25-year-old Alyssa Even when did you're not, right there with them? 25-year-old Alyssa did ungrateful. not ask that question. You know? Some people are so ungrateful. Yeah. <laughs> They're like, do you know what kind of power you could have behind you? <laughs> Use it for good. <laughs> no, but... I, yeah, I think that it is important for us. Like I said, we are created in the image of God. There is so much to love Mm. within each of us. And some people do struggle with loving themselves and seeing value in themselves. And every single person is lovable. Um, And I think that is part of this self-work is exploring the ways in which you are lovable. It's it's not selfish. It's not arrogant. It is good. It's good work. The word that I embrace all the time is worthiness. Yes. Uh, You know, I am worthy of this. You are worthy. We're, you know, God's beloved worthy children. I mean, you know, because somehow I guess I had in the back of my head growing somehow to be liked, you had to earn to be liked. Mm. And I think you can be liked. I can be liked um, just because I am, just because I breathe. I don't have to have done something for you or jumped, you know, jumped high or ran fast or whatever that we're all worthy. We're yeah. all beloved people. And, uh, you know, I think to do all of this um, with other people, uh, I don't know. I think it's a real blessing. I mean, I, you're right. When we, we started, you were talking about what a privileged thing we get to do by doing this. And it really is. It's, um, I mean, not that I'm apologizing to people who don't. I, I would love to figure out ways to create environments. But I think you've got to want to do it in the first place. Mm. Uh, I never signed up for it until I kind of got like right on the edge. Like I heard this great uh, illustration the other day about all of this. And it it goes kind of like this. It's about uh, comparing the pathway to self-discovery to archaeology and that uh, we decide to kind of do our own internal dig. And, you know, if you understand archaeology at all, you know, part of going to a work site is to uncover, right, to dig up. And that, so <laughs> the living of our lives is the adding the dirt on these events in our life. So if you're doing personal growth work, you are out in the field digging and uh, coming upon said artifact, right? And, and taking that artifact out, naming it, what was it from? How did it get here? Um, but here's the crazy caveat in all this. So you're doing all that work and you found that uh, We'll call it a treasure, but the dirt to get to that got displaced. Oh, and unfortunately, it got put on top of some other areas <laughs> that you need to excavate. 
and work. So all of our life is walking around, you know, basically through our backyard, digging up holes and going, oh, so that's where that is. Oh, that was that traumatic, you know, date after prom. Or, oh, that was that miscarriage. Or, oh, that was that fired, you know, when I got... And um, you got to want to do it. And you got to... It's exhausting. Yeah, you can't force introspection. mm -mm. No, I think that's a huge fail. Like, I... Just when you said that phrase, I was thinking, golly. I mean, see, I think that's where when I started this, I talked about in, in college, that, that was kind of what that was about. Mm. And some self-protective element in me knew to not cooperate, that it felt emotionally manipulative or something. Yeah. And I, I, I wasn't anywhere near mature enough to handle all of whatever I could have uncovered. So, yeah, man, no, 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 we're not going to go there. We've been focusing on ourselves this yeah. whole time of how have we done this work? What did it look like? You know, how did your journey to self-discovery impact your relationship with others? And how do you do relationships differently after having learned about yourself? Well, that's a good question. Let's think about this. So I, uh, in my collective of relationships, I have, uh, so a pretty good home base between Wendy and then Wendy, by the way, is my wife, and other people who are like-minded in this. So that takes up a pretty good hunk of time. Then I get um, permission to kind of be uh, introspective as a pastor, and it doesn't seem weird or out of place. Uh, just in my role of going and checking on people in hospital or nursing home or funeral home or wherever that that you know. That, that's okay. Where at times it feels strange still uh, would be with my adult kids who have a different understanding of me as dad. Uh, my daughter is uh, prone to use the phrase, don't use that pastor bull with me. Mm. Whenever I'll talk, you know, throw out a phrase about, well, I wonder what else could be true. Or wonder, you know, she's like, nope, nope, not doing that that's with you. That's like my dad, don't therapize don't me. Don't even, <laughs> you know, don't, nope, nope. And my boys, they just are like, I don't know. Their answer to their, like their shutdown response is just to go to this real masculine, I don't know, which means I don't want, I don't want to know, and I don't want to talk about it. Let's go fish, something like that. So, um, and then every now and then you kind of come upon like, um, or I come upon people who are like, hey, can you tell me more about this whole recovery thing? Or I'll get random email from brando people in the community who will say, hey, I heard you have a story about this. Could I have a cup of coffee with you and talk? And it's, I kind of like compare it to like tire kickers mm-hmm. or whatever. And about half show up and a half uh, just they don't. They get, it gets too big. And I get that. I, I probably blew off a number of people early on. So mm-hmm. how about you? Well, first of all, I had to remove myself from the center of the universe mm-hmm. uh, in order to even have a semblance of what relationship looked like with other people. Because it sounds so just ignorant and silly because it is. It never once crossed my mind before I started doing Enneagram work that people function differently than I do, that they think differently than I do, that they have different motivations than I do. And that's, I had 
a really tough time understanding other people because it's what I said before. Why would you do that? I would never do that. What there? What could have possibly motivated you? What were you thinking? <laughs> and so my thought is, okay, if I wouldn't have done that and our thought process must be the same, then you must be doing it. The only reason I would do that is to manipulate. The only reason I would do that is I'm trying to do a power grab, whatever it is. And so I would put negative intentions on people because I assign my own motivations to others. You looked at it, you just decided you analyzed it your answer was the one and you yeah yeah i get it i didn't even analyze it because wh- why would you need well there to? wasn't any analysis needed <laughs> oh it was very obvious it's very and clear so i hadn't realized how much of a hindrance that had been to me my entire life and how it created this wall between me and others because there was an unwillingness to ask the question, what else could be true? Yeah. You know, <clears throat> the the pastor BS. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, I, because I'm like, I know what's true. No. It's obvious. <laughs> it's very clear yeah. what the next right thing to do is, and you didn't do it. Yeah. Uh, so you're doing the wrong thing. Um, and, and so it took me time to untie those knots and realize, oh, there are people making this decision, making decisions in this world through the motivation of feeling safe and secure. There are people who are making all of their decisions to avoid conflict. There are people uh, making decisions because they want to be perceived as successful. There are all of these different people with different motivations. My motivation is to not be controlled. So if you make a decision that goes against something that I would make, my first reaction is you're trying to control me in some way and that's not going to happen, you know? So I would create these negative relationships with people all based on assumptions of what they're thinking, why they're doing it, all of this stuff that's just ridiculous. And so first, remove myself from the center of the universe and allow for there to be diversity of thought and understanding. Um, Check your assumptions. And then... Beyond that, I will say, you know, something that when you were describing these pockets of people that you have, that, oh my gosh, that's so overwhelming to me. That's so (laughs) overwhelming to me. I have two friends, Mm. two. Um, I have a lot of acquaintances. I probably just hurt a lot of people's feelings who Mm. are like, wait, am I your friend? Am I one of them? So for, for me... To call someone a friend, it really is more like family. When mm-hmm. I consider someone that's okay. a friend, it's someone who I can say anything to. They come over to my house. I'm not cleaning up. I'm not changing clothes. I'm not going to do anything to be presentable because who cares? They're family. So I have two people and then I have my family. Yeah. So because one of the things that I learned about myself over time is... One of the reasons I have my guard up with people, being vulnerable is very exhausting for me. And it probably is for a lot of people, but it is to be vulnerable is very much against my nature. I think that some people are more naturally inclined to access vulnerability. I am not. And so I can't pour everything I have into more than two people. It's too much for me. Yeah, no, it's exhausting. I get that. And so my only focus can be on, okay, these are my two friends. 
These are the people that I'm going to check in on. These are the people that I'm going to want to know everything that's going on at work, everything that's going on with their families. I want to support them. I want to love them. And maybe it's because I'm an extremist of like, when I'm in, I am 200% in. And so it is everything of like, and to imagine doing that with a group of 20 friends it makes me want to throw up yeah. thinking about it. Yeah. I can't do it. I get that. And so I think as a result of that, um, I'm super close with my family. So those are, you know, let's say six to eight people who really tight with, plus my two friends. So I have an inner circle of 10 people that I'm super close with. I'm willing to be vulnerable with. I'm willing to cry in front of. I'm willing to share my true feelings about things. I'm willing to get upset. I'm willing to share my joys with them because sometimes I don't even want to share my joys with other people because I'm like, well, I don't want them to know that, you know, I succeeded in this way. <laughs> you know, it, it's, it's messy. And then for people outside of that inner circle, I tend to keep things very surface level of like, I'm friendly. I, and I kind of do what you talked about of like, when people ask me questions about myself personally, I find a way to put it back on them and say, well, yeah, but like, how about you? Like what's going right. on with you? You know, that sort of thing. It's not because I'm hiding. It's because I don't have the energy. No, that's what I was going to say. I think it's yeah. like, it's uh, energy conservation Yeah. Um, because it's a whole lot less taxing to simply kick into listen mode and hear their story and chime in every now and again, right? Versus, um, you know, doing a full-on vulnerability dump with them and then you got to listen to their vulnerability dump and then sometimes when you get all in on somebody else's vulnerability dump that might have expectations connected to follow-up or this or that. And yeah, it's hard work. I get it. And so I used to be kind of self-conscious about the fact of like, is it okay that I only have two friends? Like, is that right. normal? Should I, should I be trying to meet more people and make new friends? And, and every time I start to do it, I'm like, this doesn't feel right. Like this feels right. like I'm pushing too hard. I'm trying too hard. This doesn't feel natural to me. And so I've just come to the conclusion, I'm a person with a small group of friends and that's okay. It is what it is. Yeah. Yeah. And they're never allowed to move away. I've made that very <laughs> clear to them and they're yeah. not allowed. Yeah. I have a list of things. You're not allowed to do these things. Well, no, that's good that everybody, <laughs> they all know that and you, you have shared expectations. No, but I, yeah, I, the biggest thing for me was decentering myself. And, uh, man, that was a. Do you give like Jacob or other people in your life permission to go, Hey, you're doing that thing. Yeah. So there's some outward. Yeah. My partner is also in my inner circle. I should say that. Okay. <laughs> I forgot to mention him. <laughs> um, yeah, he's, he's allowed in. Um, yeah, I think. And he does it so well, but he's also an eight on the Enneagram, which you would think like that would never work Two eights in a relationship. Yeah, is together. that allowed? It's don't, amazing. You don't self-destruct or self-kill or self It's incredible harm. because we understand each other's motivations. We understand why people are, why he's reacting the way that he is. I understand his thought process of how he came to a conclusion on something like, and it's so it makes it, we speak the same language. Yeah. Well, no, and if it works for you. It also means we have the same blind spots. So that can be a problem as well. Um, 
if I need to be pulled back some, sometimes he's quick to be like, no, you are right. <laughs> you know, that they shouldn't have said hey, that. Hey, maybe we need to call yeah. him a third party. <laughs> yeah. So, but I think that um, I know that he feels comfortable calling me out and mm-hmm. and he does it in a very soft loving way of like, hey, usually it's, hey, do you think you should eat something? But <laughs> but no, he'll um, he'll pull me back just, I don't even know how to describe it. He does it so well. It feels so natural. Well, I think in, in uh, relationships where it does that right there, it feels so natural um, because it's so natural, it's not, uh, you know, a moment that then registers yeah. in your psyche and you're like, oh, he's doing that thing. Um, you know, Wendy and I, she's not a, a, I'm a two. I forget what she is. She's a seven. No, is she? Maybe. She told me once and I now I can't remember. But we use humor a lot. Like, uh, and I have to be really careful because I will, I I have humor and then I have uh, biting, hurtful, harmful humor. Mm. And um, especially if there's a, like another, if I'm uh, humor- and then all of a sudden I'm kind of getting laughs and I, it, it turns into performatory humor at somebody else's expense. Uh, and I have done that, I think, twice with her. And, and we had a pretty serious talk about yeah. don't ever use me as the brunt of your jokes again. Mm-hmm. Um, and people like me who do that are you know, not consciously doing it. What we're conscious about is we're getting attention or laughs mm-hmm. for doing that. And yeah. So I've One of better. the things I, I just recognized that he does is if I'm acting out in some way, he'll first say, hey, I have something I want to tell you, and I want to start by telling you that I love you, I'm on your team, and I'm telling you this because I care about you. That immediately takes away all of your defenses of, mm-hmm. okay, I'm, like I'm this anxious, is I'm something that, to what you have. yeah, this is something that he wants with, us to yeah. work on. And, yeah. and then he'll say, you know, when you said this, it made me feel yeah. this way. And I know you don't want me to feel that way. Mm-hmm. So, Aww. yeah. And he's like, and so he sees the best in me. And he his assumption is, oh, she would have never mean to hurt me. So let's figure out mm-hmm. like why she said it this way and what she actually meant and give her a chance to like talk Aww. through those feelings. Go out with him. Can I, I know. Isn't him? he the best? <laughs> <laughs> hey, Jacob, we like you. Yeah. She likes um, you more than I But he's it. so good, like at just diffusing yeah. and cool. making you feel valued in this conversation. But also, it's important stuff that we need well, to address. It helps I'm him like, oh my communicate gosh. Clearly when and he I, needs to communicate. And it gives me the chance to say, oh my gosh, I had no idea it came across that way. That was not my intention at all. I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. You know? And then we can move forward in a positive way from there. But just that reminder at the beginning of like because if he hadn't given me that forward at the beginning of it and just said, Would you be on guard? Would be like, you be why like- did you say it that way? I would have immediately, but, my go to emotion is anger. I would immediately been because you're bugging me. Why? Like just something <laughs> to defend myself yeah. and say, oh, yeah. you're the one who's the problem. I'm not the oh, problem. You would be listening already for a response. Right? Yeah. 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 I get it. But, um, you think this is going to help people listening to us? Here's what I'm hoping. I'm hoping that people who are listening to this, who are interested in doing self work, will maybe take some of the questions that we've asked each other and contemplate them for themselves. 
Okay. And maybe if they have a safe person, they can take some of these questions to their safe person and say, hey. So are you going to put these like at the end of the podcast I can, Yeah, I'll put them in the description and, and say, hey, here are some questions you might want to ask if you're ready to do this work. You yeah. know, what are some negative things about me I need to work on? What mask am I wearing? Mm-hmm. What are some things that I love about myself or that I can learn to love about myself? These are really big questions. And if you have a partner to have this conversation with, yeah, no, and these are great. these are like uh, let's say you're going to do that. Here's my recommendation: a question a week or over two weeks. Yeah, don't try to like don't do all these one yeah. night over a bottle of wine. Um, I don't know. Some people that's the way they function. Well, but. I know, but every question in one night <laughs> yeah, is what I'm thinking. It's a lot. It's, just, it's a lot. Uh, I would kind of ruminate, contemplate, chew on it. You know, like I said earlier, I think sometimes too we get. For, uh, scared of vocabulary words of just shadow self and this and that and so if you can simple it down to a uh, language you can get your head around you know what are you hiding behind or what do you you know whatever the phraseology is that you need I think it makes it a little more approachable you could have an entire evening multiple evening conversation around what mask am I wearing you are starting to give some advice to people are there any helpful resources tools or practices that help you stay grounded in your true self and in this work? Hmm. Well, just randoms here. I think everybody should uh, have some kind of therapeutic relationship with a professional and whether or how you can buy it, pay for it, insure it, whatever. I don't know what I'm saying about that, but I mean, I know they, that's expensive, but it's worth it. To ha- not just your girlfriend or guy friend or whomever over a cup of coffee, but a professional uh, who will help you in that regard. If you have any inkling of dysfunction around the whole uh, arena of recovery, I would uh, find some kind of recovery group. And there are tons, tons For now. every topic you could imagine. You name it, there are. And if you wonder about help, some help finding one, call me or email me or something. Because uh, that can be a little over overwhelming to figure it out. Um, you know, I would look for a place to that uh, is a gathering of like-minded people, whether that is a temple, a church, a group of people who like to do and are energized by the same thing. Because I think once, let's just even say it's people who like water polo or volleyball or, you know, taking care of dogs at an animal rescue, that those are moments, um, those are, are doorway moments. And then you, you have that moment and then frequently you have the moment after the moment where you are, you've just been energized by doing the thing you like. There's some... Um, debriefing that usually includes a meal or a drink and sitting around. And those are, are like beginnings of moments where people can kind of be their most real self. Mm. So I think that there's a reason that, uh, Jesus had so many conversations over a meal. Oh yeah. It disarms us when we're eating and sharing food together and drinks together and everything. There is a layer of vulnerability that, is that we allow out that we don't at other times. And I wonder, I mean, I'm sure there has to be studies around that and why that is, but 
I, yeah. Especially what I would call non-performance meals. Mm. You know, uh, you know what a performance meal is, yes. right? When you're all dressed up and it's all about who you are and who's looking at you. And who's, so like if you have, to me, the best are moments that you've already been disarmed, like you're all dirty together, meaning you've all just slept out a barn or you've all been working at a community garden or something like that. So you don't have this collective net of who's trying to impress anybody that's off the table and you're just sitting there in your most honest nest of stinky and dirty and all that so that distraction is gone and you have your meal and and uh usually it takes maybe somebody to uh you know like the conversation goes and then somebody's going to need to help it turn and all you have to do is say you know use a feeling word man that sounds like that was really scary or I bet that made you really angry or, you know, and then usually just, magic know, happens. Magic happens. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, this has been fun. Thanks, Doug. Yeah. So I hope that y'all can start having these conversations of who am I? Who are you? Um, and from here, oh my gosh, so much good work can begin when we understand ourselves. I, we didn't even get into the faith part of the conversation, but that's okay. Yeah, this is the life part of the Life Plus God podcast. Yeah. But I, it can lead into closer relationship with God, a more humble understanding of our Creator, and seeking and curiosity. I, it, it's really it opens a lot of beautiful paths. So I hope that y'all will give this work a try. And don't be afraid of what you might find. Uh, no matter what your past life has told you, you are a good and amazing and wonderful person. And whatever you uncover is not going to take that away. And uh, matter of fact, it will just add richness and color and texture. And you'll be able to learn from that. And You are um, more lovable than you ever knew. You, you have no idea. Mm. Thanks, Doug. Take care. The Life Plus God podcast is hosted, written, and produced by me, Alyssa Robinson, and sponsored by Treach Memorial United Methodist Church in Flower Mound, Texas. If you live in the Flower Mound area, I invite you to stop by and see if Treach could be your new church family. You can learn more about all of our programs and events at tmumc.org, and I hope to catch you next week for our next episode of the Life Plus God podcast.